last Thursday before All Saints Day, yeah. All Souls Day, which is fantastic. Exactly. Um, the Feast of Saints Simon and Jude, as we record this. Fantastic. Yes, indeed. I saw you wearing red as you walked into Mass. I was. I was covering the office, so I did not get to go to Mass. I saw you wearing red as I left after Mass. So. I wore the appropriate <laughs> color without even realizing it, it and really I was good. a little sad that I couldn't share that with the kids at Mass today, but you know, oh well. It's okay. Some days you win, some days you sort of don't win. Yeah. That's okay. But... We're winning today by having another discussion about the Catechism. And as always, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart. And I am joined with our wonderful pastor, Father John Eckert. And he is going to start us off with a prayer. I sure am. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your countless gifts, especially the gift of your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving us from the depths of sin and bringing us into the light of your love, taking us by the hand, the hand of your Son, and leading us towards sainthood. We ask you to continue to give us all of the virtues, all of the grace that we need to strive to follow you, and to share the great treasure of our faith with everyone whom we encounter. And we ask this through the intercession of the Queen of all saints, our Blessed Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary. Full, Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint Simon and Saint Jude. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, on this Thursday before All Saints Day and All Souls Day, I thought it would be nice if we start maybe just for five, ten minutes-ish, talking about the importance of All Saints Day and All Souls Day and why they're so wonderful uh, traditions in our calendar. Why All Saints Day is a holy day of obligation, even though it's not, at least in our diocese this year. I don't know if I other dioceses I think are, it's in the United States. It is USCCB. I think when a, when, let's say, it's a solemnity that would normally have an obligation attached to it, a holy day of obligation, the obligation is dropped when it's on a Saturday or on a Monday. Unless um, it's, does it drop on Marian feast days, though? Does it drop on Immaculate Conception? I think so. I feel like one of the Marian feast days, or maybe two, they trumped that rule. I feel like that happened one time, but I don't. I and don't get me wrong. wrong. Like I kind of wish they would just trump that rule all the time. Um, but in honor of trumping the rule, we are still going to have two masses on uh, the Solemnity of All Saints that are our normal one, seven a.m. on Monday, and then we're going to have another one at noon. And then, as our wonderful director of operations mentioned, the next day is All Souls Day. We're going to have two masses on that day as well. The normal seven a.m. But then, and I'm very excited about this one, we are going to have Mass in our cemetery at 5.30 p.m. We're planning to set up back by the columbarium towards the back. And uh, if you're going to join us, just recommend bring out a, a chair. Uh, and yeah, it'll be beautiful. I mean, we're, we're so blessed here at Sacred Heart to have the cemetery, um, especially as you drive up to the church and to the school, you know, to just have that beautiful reminder of our Lord's closeness, the hope of the resurrection, um, and just to be able to pray for our loved ones, you know, just right out of the gate, you know, whenever we're driving in. Uh, but as Michael said, I mean, the importance of those days, I mean, in a way, I mean, Monday, November the 1st, it's kind of like a great big solemnity celebration of heaven, you know, and thinking about all saints. Obviously, it's beyond just the canonized saints. Um, there's a lot of people in heaven that the church is not officially canonized because, you know, there is a great big process that goes into canonization, which is the fancy word that means the church declaring you to be a saint in heaven. 
Um, you know, we don't always know about everybody. And this is a beautiful thing about our faith. God knows what's going on. He knows the sacrifices you're making. He knows the heroic virtue you're exercising. Even if everybody else around you doesn't necessarily see it or see the fruits, our Lord is paying attention and knows. And so on that day, we celebrate all of those who have made it, who are in heaven. And this is the other beautiful thing about that is they continue, quite frankly, probably to be more concerned about us than we are about them, like praying for us, interceding for us, wanting us to be there with them. Because the nice thing about our faith, the love of God, the grace of God, we're not talking about a zero-sum game. We're not talking about a diminishable sum. Like The more that the love of Christ is poured out, the more that it grows. I was telling the kiddos last night at the uh, Children's Holy Half Hour, like, you know, this isn't like a pizza. Like, if I bring a pizza in the office, I'm like, here, Michael, have a piece. Here, Flora, have a piece. Here, Mimi, have a piece. Here, uh, Sharon, have a piece. Like, it's going to run out, you know, because that's what pizza does. It's wonderful. I enjoy it. But unlike pizza, the love of God, it just continues to grow. The more that it's shared, the more that it's poured out, um, it's an incredible gift. And, and so the saints are rejoicing in that forever in heaven and want to just continue to help that process of us moving on to be with them. And then the next day, All Souls Day, feel free to cut me off and jump in. Anyway. <laughs> I feel going. like I'm kind of on a rant. I'm so. learning something here too. Not really, but keep going. <laughs> so All Souls Day, you know, it, it's that a thing I think Pope uh, Benedict XVI said, that if we didn't have the doctrine of purgatory, we would have to invent it. Because to assume that all of us are just ready to go to heaven when we die, I mean, that is... It's pretty arrogant, you know, to, to assume that all of us are just already at heroic virtue, saintly status upon our death. I mean, you know the people in your life. You know yourself, you know. And, and I'll be honest with you. Like, let's just say, God forbid, you know, um, I get hit by a Guinness truck tonight and we have to have my funeral. Don't assume I'm a saint. Pray for me. And I'll say our one priest in the cemetery uh, Father Conrad Kimbrough was very intense about that. I think it even says on his tombstone, please pray for me. And he's the one who gave the money for the beautiful St. John Vianney statue that says pray for priests. You know, we pray for those who have gone before us because our prayers assist those who are in purgatory. And you're like, well, I'm not sure about this purgatory thing. My favorite example I've ever heard of this was, let's say you get invited to a dinner party at, a, you know, let's just say it's a very close friend's house. And you've been out in the field working all day, right? And you're covered in mud and all of this. And then, you know, it's, just, it's time to go. And are you going to walk in on their white carpet with their beautiful furniture all covered in mud? Like, no. They're going to be like, here, let's, let's bring you over here. Let's get you cleared, like cleaned off, get that stuff off there, the stuff that's clinging to you before you come into the dinner party. Well, a lot of us still have some stuff clinging to us. Like, I don't want to hold grudges, right? But i got to be honest, like there's still some things that I'm, ah, I'm still kind of struggling with. I need to keep offering that up in the midst of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I need to be able to let go of some past hurts. Well, I can't take that into heaven with me. That's got to be purified. That's got to be cleaned off. And if I'm still grasping that when I die, like my, my main trajectory here is I want to be with our Lord forever. But I'm still holding on to this thing I can't take into heaven with me. I still got mud on my boots. Well, it's a gift of God to have purgatory, to have that opportunity to be cleansed of that before you go into the heavenly banquet. And so on All Souls Day, and quite frankly, throughout the whole month of November, we're reminded to pray for our beloved dead, those who have gone before. And that's why it is so good to have the gift of a cemetery, because I think sometimes in our culture, we want to just like expunge death from everything. We want to get rid of that. It's like, no, 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 
We don't want to think about that. We don't want to be with our loved ones when they're dying. That's why I think euthanasia has become such a big thing. It's a hard process. It's difficult, you know, and then we don't want to think about it. Like, there's so many people that just don't want to have a funeral or don't want to honor the body. We do that because we have hope, hope in the resurrection. And when we die, we need prayers, and we can help those who have gone before us with our prayers. And let's just say, okay, like, I'm pretty convinced, you know, my grandma was wonderful. I'm sure she's going to be in heaven. Great thing about our prayers, they don't go to waste. You offer, you have a mass said for your grandma, guess what? God is not going to be like, she's already a saint, sorry, mass is worthless. No, like God uses that for what, you know, we put it in his hands and he uses it in whatever way he sees fit. And so to pray for the dead is such an important thing that we can do. It's a corporal and a spiritual, well, a corporal work of mercy is burying the dead. The spiritual work of mercy is praying for the repose of the souls of the dead. And so we do that, and we really focus in on that during the month of November. And I think, as you said already, the fact that you see our cemetery as you're driving up. Yeah. I feel like some places, they kind of put the cemetery in the back or some other place where you can't see it or it's not easily seen in, on the campus. But the fact that that's kind of one of the first things that you see as you're driving up our campus. And we do have a really beautiful cemetery. We do. We do. It, is, it is gorgeous. And there's a, a lot of, and now that we've been here a while, there's a lot of people and names that I recognize in yeah. there, too. I, I mean, walking through there, there's a lot of people. It's like, oh, yeah, that person. We need to pray for that person. It's kind of nice to have that connection now. Absolutely. And to pray for the consolation of those who are still with us. You know, like we have, you know, widows and widowers whose loved ones are down there. And I just love, like, you can walk by and, like, you see the day. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I need to tell Ray Paradowski I'm praying for Lois. And just to kind of, you know, really keep him in mind on that day. Or, um, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers, who is uh, one of the ushers at the 8 a.m. Like, I always, you know, when I know one of the big dates for his lovely wife who passed away, Mercedes, when I know that's coming up, like, I can, I can talk to him about that. And I can say, I went down and prayed at her graveside again. Or I, got to, I blessed her grave again. Like, it's just... It's a beautiful thing that we can do, and it reminds us that, you know, yes, they have passed away, but it's not as though they're no longer a part of our lives, you know? And so we continue to pray for them, um, you know, and God willing, like, you know, I mentioned before my grandma, my grandpa, my grandpa Brian, like, I'm almost totally convinced he's in heaven. He was so good and so wonderful and, like, just taught me my love of the rosary and things like that, right? Um, nevertheless, like in the first Eucharistic prayer, when it comes to those who have died, very often I think about him and my grandma, or I think about my grandma and grandpa Eckerd, and, you know, or just those who have died in the last year. And there's some people that it's just like, man, they were so awesome. But even so, Lord, hey, I entrust them to you. And he knows what to do with them. So it's great. Yeah. And a lot of times I enjoy praying just for those who have died that have no one to pray for them, right? Yeah. Just offering up prayers for those that may have been in purgatory a little bit longer than others, may not be getting the spiritual help that maybe some others need. Um, and then usually I just offer those prayers to Mother Mary and just yeah. say, hey, you know who needs them the most? I'm just going to offer up this rosary to you that you can kind of apply them or use them on the souls that need them the most and need the most help. Um, and it's kind of a little thing I like to pull up. You know what's awesome about that too is we talk about like Monday this year. It's not an obligation, right? You don't have to be here. Well, you have the opportunity to be here, you know? And so, like what you were just saying, like you don't have to pray the rosary every day, but you can and you should, and it's a wonderful thing to do. And don't get me wrong, obligations, they're, they're good. They're, they're important. I think they help, you know, especially in those difficult moments where it's like, oh, I just don't feel like going. But it's like, okay, I know I have to, so I'm going to do this. 
Um, but sometimes we have the opportunity to be a little bit more gratuitous in our love of God. Like, you know what? I've got this 30-minute drive. I could listen to a podcast. I could listen to, to, uh, um, to some music or something. You know what? I'm going to pray another rosary just because I love you, Blessed Mother, and because I love your son. And, like, we can do that. You know, it's just uh, it's a gift from God because I don't think I've ever, like, come off of one of those experiences and thought, oh, why did I do that? You know, I have finished podcasts and thought, okay, that was a waste of time. You know, or, like, <laughs> listen to some music that I used to listen to all the time. And now I listen to it, I'm like, why did I used to listen to this? You know, and so it's, it is kind of funny where I just feel like Scripture, the Rosary, prayer, they never let you down, but most other things do. So anyway. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Speaking of death. Yes. Right? Death came into the world through Adam and Eve. That's right. And where does the catechism deal with that topic? That leads us right into where we finished last time. That was an impressive segue. Well, I had it planned out the entire time. Man, so good. That was um, awesome. So kind of to recap where we're at, we basically kind of went through the beginning of mankind, right? The creation of Adam and Eve, that relationship they had with God, that perfect relationship they had with each other um, in nature and in the garden. And then we are kind of going into the fall of mankind. So we kind of stopped halfway in the section on original sin or man's first sin. So that's kind of where we're going to jump into today. If you haven't watched last month's Go Back and Watch It, you kind of get the full picture. We're kind of jumping into the middle of the narrative here. But that's okay because we're doing 50 paragraphs at a time and sometimes they don't cut in good spots. Um, so where I'd like to start is... Consequence for Adam's sin, right, at 402. Um, I'm going to read a little section here. Please do. All men, so this is paragraph 402, all men are implicated in Adam's sin. As St. Paul affirms, by one man's disobedience, many, that is all men, were made sinners. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all men sinned. The apostle contrasts the universality of sin and death with the universality of the salvation of, in Christ. Then as one man, man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal in life for all men. I think a lot of people might say, well, that wasn't fair. What do I have to do with Adam, right? His one sin in now all of mankind is just destroyed in some ways. Yeah. But don't we also see that even just in our own lives? We see people's lives who are having a harder time because of past history with family or past sins of other people. When we look at the universal church, right, we recognize that our sins hurt others and our virtues help others. Mm -hmm. And so we see Adam's first sin, the first turning away from Christ. And yeah, of course it's going to be passed down because that was the, the first sin and that was the he was the, the first man to be created, and all mankind is going to follow after him. But how beautiful it is that also through one man, all salvation came to the world. All sins were forgiven through his passion and death on the cross. And so, yes, we lost something through one man, but how great it is that the new Adam gained something so much better for us through this one man. Absolutely. And I think the thing, too, you use the term, you know, it's not fair that, well, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody promised any of this would be fair, you know? As I like to say um, at baptisms, when we're talking about original sin, it's like, you know what? My dad, not very tall, so I'm not incredibly tall. It's like, it's not, it's not my fault, 
but it is my problem. You know, it's like, so it's, it's something that we've inherited from before us. Now, obviously, my dad didn't make a decision to not be super tall. Um, and my grandpa O'Brien didn't make a decision to be bald, but you know, I've inherited both of those. So it, it is what it is. Um, not my fault, but it is my problem. And so we're born into a dysfunctional family. But as we're going to kind of get into it more and more with that one man's act of righteousness, that one man who is also fully God, um, the way that God goes about writing what once went wrong is better than we would have had it in the first place. And we're going to get to more of that as we kind of move through. Yeah. And I think 404 kind of even emphasizes even more what we were just talking about, about inheriting that sin. And I'm kind of halfway through paragraph 404. Um, By yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin. But this sin affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. It is a sin which will be transmitted by propagation to all mankind. That is, by the transmission of a human nature deprived of original holiness and justice. That is why original sin is called sin, only in in that in an analogical sense. That's a lot of in an analogical sense. A little bit of a tongue twister. It is a sin contracted and not committed, a state and not an act. And I underlined that whole section because I thought that was just so good to show that it's not about how they committed the personal sin. It's about the effects on the human nature that the sin committed. So it was contracted. It was kind of this contractual sin that affected all human beings under that contract or covenant that was created between mankind and God. And we, by being under that contract as being human beings, we're also affected by that. Exactly. So I think that really sums it up. Well. Oh, yeah. And I think that, yeah, contracted versus committed is such an important thing. Adam and Eve committed the sin, but we've all contracted it. So little David Augustine, when he was baptized three, two weeks ago? Uh, almost, weeks. almost, yeah. So when Deacon Darren Balky came down, did the baptism for little David Augustine and little Levi Ambrose, you know, they haven't done anything wrong. I mean, they're not really capable of that yet. I mean, they're, they're infants. Uh, they're newborns but they have contracted it. They're born into this fallen state. But the beautiful thing is that by baptism, we're saved out of that fallen state, even though the effects remain, and we're going to get to more of that too. And I really like what they say in 403, kind of what you just said. Because of this, they have not committed personal sin. It was contracted, Mm -hmm. right? The church baptizes for the remission of sins, even tiny infants, Yep. right in 403. So baptize your kids. Just do it. It's not about what they've done or they committed. It's about what's been contracted. And do it as soon as you possibly can. It's just a good idea. Even if it looks like, oh, we're not going to be able to have the party for a while. You know what? It's more important to have the sacrament than it is to have the party. And you know what the nice thing is? When, the, when they're newborns, they don't know if there's a party or not. It's okay. Like, they'll, they'll be okay if you wait a little while or have the baptism this day and celebrate it later. Great. No worries. Like, it'll be okay. I saw in canon law that it was saying, like, Baptism should be done within the first month of life, if at all possible. Oh, yeah. Which, or at least have it scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was just reading Canon Law, and I saw that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. ASAP. I know my parents did not do it within the first month of my life. I don't know about yours. But, um, you know, this is the big thing. Like, don't hold off and wait. Like, just get them baptized, you know. Let's take care of that contracted problem of original sin. And then the other beautiful thing is, is it's not just a removal of original sin. It's being given the life of Christ, which is awesome and so good and an unfathomable gift. And the sacramental graces that we receive from that, sanctifying graces, which actually 
plays very nicely with the, the next part. Please read it. It's, we've got the heading of a hard battle, which mm. is very interesting. Because what we need to understand is, even though our parents committed a personal sin, something else happened that is incredibly important for us to recognize. The devil, through his temptation and his, really, it wasn't just a temptation, he convinced them to sin as well. Um, they committed the sin and he now has a certain hold over mankind, right? As we say in the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, he's prowling about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Or like C.S. Lewis's um, Out of the Silent Planet, oh, yeah, I was yeah. thinking. Like it, that book talks about other planets or other universes recognizing our planet. And they recognize our planet as a silent planet because ever since the fall of mankind, it was like cut, at least in this story, it was cut off from the rest of the world because the devil is prowling about our world. And God, in some ways in this narrative, cut it off. So the devil wouldn't kind of branch out to other worlds. Very fictitious, but very interesting to think about as well. That's a good analogy. I didn't expect that. I thought it was going to be screw tape letters. No, well I done. mean, screw tape letters was way too easy. Well done. I had to pick the, that was impressive. the space trilogy. We knew we were going to go called? to C.S. Lewis's. Yeah, it's a space trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, and uh, um, something strength. It, no, uh, Hideous Strength. Hideous Strength. Which, honestly, if, your you, least if favorite, you read those, I really struggled with Hideous Strength. And I love that. I really had a hard time wrestling with it. Paralandra is my favorite, It is personally. really good. I know, Hideous Strength is just a fun read, I think. Anyway, continue. So anyway, so we see that now we have this, the devil has some sort of like captivity over us. And we call this concupiscence. And concupiscence is used several times throughout this section. And what I like to say is concupiscence is the inclination towards sin. If you think about Adam and Eve, right? You think about a table, a flat surface, and you put a ball on a flat surface, right? You have full control over where that ball goes, right? You have full control whether that ball falls off the table or not because it's kind of at rest, or it is at rest on a flat surface. But when you have this concupiscence, we are now in inclined plane, right? And if you place the ball on this inclined plane, what's naturally going to happen with gravity? It's going to roll down. So if you and I become lukewarm in our spiritual life and we kind of sit at rest, in this concupiscence, well, we're not going to be moving up and we're really not even going to be staying in the same spot. We're going to be spiraling down because the devil has that hold over us and is consistently and constantly tugging at us. So unless we're fighting that pull, such as this gravity in the example, we're going to be going backwards. Yeah. And that's why before what you're talking about as well, like, okay, you know what? I'm going to pray this rosary and do this, like to counteract it, to fight that hard battle, you know, it helps you to keep moving the right direction on the table, even though you're inclined. A lot of times, like St. Paul talking about, you know, I don't do the good that I want to do, but the, you know, the bad that I'm trying to reject. It's from Romans, but it's not a, it's not a direct quote. But we feel that pull in ourselves sometimes. Like, you know, like, I want to do the right thing. I want to get up early and pray. But it's like, ugh, it'd just be so much easier to just lay here. You know, or like, we, we can tend to... Especially when we go idle, like we tend to like roll down the hill, not roll up it. And uh, so, yeah, so we have to keep fighting that hard battle. Exactly. But we're not alone, right? Mm -hmm. And so, this last part, right, titled in, in parentheses, I don't, it doesn't give a citation where the parentheses come from, and maybe you know. Uh, you did not abandon him to the power of death. I don't mm -hmm. know where that, that quotation comes from. I know that we use it very often. I think it's in one of the Eucharistic prayers. I want to say Eucharistic prayer four. What number are you in? Which paragraph? Uh, we're just before 410. Okay. 
Um, so the heading right above 410. Nice. Um, so the last couple paragraphs here, so we've talked about the fall, the consequences of the fall, but now we need to remember that God had a plan all along, right? That he, he gave us this proto-evangelium that I love. Like mm -hmm. proto-evangelium is probably one of my yeah. favorite scripture verses. And this is in right after the fall of man, right? That he's, this proto-evangelium, this first gospel, this first witness to the coming of the Savior, right? It's basically saying that, yes, you messed up, but I'm going to send my son. Almost one breath after they fell, there's a pr prediction and there is a promise that Jesus Christ is going to come and save us. And so how amazing our God is that he has this plan. He's got it all worked out, even from that very instant that we fell, that we would be saved. Um, and as it says in 4.12, we actually are in a better state than we were if we were just in the garden. We now have a more deep relationship with God because God became man. God has become man. So we have this closer connection than we even did before. We will with the resurrection of the body. And we can receive him in the Eucharist, which I think there's some deep theological debates whether we would have received the Eucharist without the fall or not. I think it's, isn't that the Dominican versus Franciscan debate of all time? Whether no, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. But I think, let's just read all of 412, because it's so good. I've already read like two, so right, it's, I'll read it's one. your turn. But why did God not prevent the first man from sinning? St. Leo the Great responds, Christ's inexpressible grace gave us blessings better than those the demon's envy had taken away. And St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, There is nothing to prevent human nature's being raised up to something greater, even after sin. God permits evil in order to draw forth some greater good. Thus, St. Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And the exultet, and that's that long hymn that the deacon sings at the Easter vigil right after we come into the church and bring in the candle and all the lights are there. The exultet sings, O happy fall, which gained for us so great a redeemer. And I'll be honest, like that phrase, that happy fault, it's one of those that, for me, and sometimes it's almost felt like a rock in the shoe because, you know, there's part of you that wants to be like, ah, if we hadn't fallen, it would have been just fine, this and that. But you know how sometimes, like, when, when things kind of, like, fall apart and then all of a sudden they move in a different direction and things are actually better than they used to be? Um, you know, in, in the mysterious plan of God's love, like, he's able to draw forth a greater good. And notice it says, like, that God permitted something, um, there is nothing to prevent human nature being raised up, something greater, even after sin. God permits evil in order to draw forth something great, some greater good. Not God does evil. God permits evil. Like, he leaves it to us. He leaves it, leaves it to our free will. Like, if Adam had been on the ball and had been guarding the garden like he was supposed to and taking care of things and not letting in that unclean animal, the serpent, and actually protecting his wife, yeah, it would have been different. But even after the fall... He draws us into something more. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting too, like in some relationships, after there's like a rocky patch or a difficulty, sometimes the reconciliation, like it leads to like a deeper understanding of who you were and, and, and who you are and the deeper, better parts of, of your relationship. And maybe it's better now, af, you know, after going through a difficulty. And to look at this, you know, like after God has created everything, saw that it's good, gave us the garden, gave us all of this, gave us this incredible relationship and natural justice, and yet going beyond, like, 
He doesn't just send us a plan. He doesn't just send us a book. He sends us his only begotten son. Like I just marvel at this all the time that like he sent us himself. He sent us a person, you know, like he he reaches out and takes us by the hand. And just, you know, how unfathomable that is that he really gets down into it and gets dirty to clean off, you know, like to help us clean off the mud on our boots that we can come into heaven, right? It's like when, you know, a child does something they're not supposed to do. They've covered themselves up in the, you know, the, the bowl of spaghetti. You know, it's not like, well, you're going to get yourself out of this mess. Like, no, you know, like mom gets in there and wipes him off and all of a sudden he's cleaner than he was before. You know, it's just, it's, it's beautiful how our Lord enters into all this with us. And we have this closer relationship with him now than we even did before. Yeah, and I think this paragraph is amazing too because it talks about um, blessings better, yeah. right, than before. The uh, something greater than before. And it says that actually tw- twice there from St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Two times it says greater. St. Paul, increase, right? There's so much language about improvement here. And it's, it's funny that you can even fathom that we started with the Garden of Eden, we, we fell to sin, mm-hmm. but now we're even better than we were? Yeah. Like, it's, it's hard to fathom that, but that is the reality of the fact. And yeah, if, if we can remember that and remember that, you know, this is that journey that we're on to reach that better thing. It's not better now. It's not better while we're here in the corporal body in time, right? Although I would argue you can catch glimpses of the better. Oh, yes. You know no, what I, mean? I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you yeah. that you can have heaven on earth even while living on earth. Yeah. Um, just like we were talking about this the other day, how, you know, the way you live your life, you can live as if you're already in heaven, or you could live your life as if you're already in hell. Mm-hmm. So we need to be embracing that, and we catch glimpses of it, but we know the world's rough, and we oh, know yeah, it's hard, course, and we know course. it's yeah. not great all the time, or unfortunately, most of the time, it's not always great. Um, but that that higher thing, even that's higher than the garden, is in some ways yet to come with that resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Yeah, and that union eternally with Christ and the saints. I mean, you know, when you get that, the sort of like glimpses of that union here and now. I'll tell you, I'm so privileged as a priest to get to experience like moments of reconciliation, you know, Um, like someone who's fallen very far and it's difficult, but to get to be present for that moment when it's like a moment of resurrection, when either they've been away from the church or they've been carrying some difficult burden of sin for all these years. And finally, it's like, opened up in confession and they let the divine physician in and it's like our lord just like picking them up and to see the difference between just the sorrow coming in and the joy going out of the confessional i mean i can't talk about specifics but it's just like holy mackerel like to get to just be there and like just like a participant in that i mean it's it's an incredible part of the vocation that i'm absolutely grateful for and that's why sometimes and i'll be honest on the human element on a Wednesday evening, when I see the line like all the way back to the sacristy door, and I know I'm going to be in the confessional for two hours minimum, the human part of me is like, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever left the confessional after one of those nights and been like, oh my goodness, what did I, I mean, it's always just so incredible to see that reconciliation. And, and like the roots of those words, like our cilia, our eyelashes, you know, it's like being reconciled, like you're back to looking eye to eye you know, with God, because when we, you know, when we're upset with somebody, we tend to look away, but to look, you know, 
we talk about the beatific vision in heaven, like to look back again on his glory and him looking at us and loving us. Oh, that's so great. And the, you talk about the reconciliation. It always reminds me of God leaving the, you know, the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one lost, you know. And I always was like, well, what about the 99? That's not very fair. But really, if I understand correctly, there really is no 99. Yeah. No, there is no righteous. There is no just. So God is leaving to find mm-hmm. us, each one of us, the one. Yeah. Um, and he's not really leaving anyone behind because we're all lost sheep. And, and when you think about it, if we're not lost, we'd be part of the body of Christ who get to be used in the process of striving to bring the one back. You know, it's like, you know, the good shepherd is also the lamb of sacrifice, the lamb of God. It's like he's with us in it all. It's like he, he doesn't abandon us because he loves us so much, but we're, you know, in, in imitating, let's say, the prodigal son. He loves us enough to let us do what we're going to do. But he's always there waiting and ready. All we have to do is turn around and come. That's the great thing about the confessional. All you have to do is go, you know. As long as you're repentant, that's all it takes. Like there's the cost of admission, you know. He respects our freedom, you know. He allows us, like you can stay in the state of sin and death if you want, if you so choose. And in a great mystery, some do so choose. But man, it's it's... That's not a good idea, and just the glory of God and the love of him is so good. It's like, hey, just run into his arms, because he's going to keep drawing better and better, more and more good out of the evil that's there in the world. And just remember, we have something greater, and we'll have something greater than even the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And that's worth fighting for. I mean, I'll jump into the confessional as much as humanly possible if I remember that is the prize to be won. So it's worth it. It's quite a prize. So there's awesome things in the in brief, but you can go back and read, read those because they are brief. Um, but then we get to chapter two, which is super exciting, right? I believe in Jesus Christ, the only son, the only son of God. Now this section is super super interesting, and I really really like this section because just as the chapter heading suggests, in the next quite a few paragraphs, and mm-hmm. I think I don't even think we finish it today. I think we, we kind of finish it we up don't. next time. To kind of give you a little sneak peek, it focuses on each one of these names, which is so beautiful and amazing. So I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, and then our Lord, it focuses on, I think, last. So what does each one of those names mean for us in our relationship with Him? And so we're kind of going to be digging into each one of those. That's, yeah, the glory of this, and like I said, you know, God didn't just send us a book. I mean, I love sacred scripture. But as St. Jerome said, it's, you know, it's ignorance of scripture, it's ignorance of Christ. That God gave us the Word incarnate. And the Word incarnate is Jesus Christ himself. And that's, that's the thing that is so good about our faith, that makes it a mystery, and one that you can continue to plumb the depths of for the rest of your existence, um, is who he is and how he loves you. And the fact that we can go through each one of these titles word by word, and they're just packed so full of meaning. And even when you come back to them later, they're going to be packed with even more meaning. And it's just gonna, you're just going to keep loving him and growing in love with him more and more all the time. And so before we get to those names, it does a little kind of synopsis of who, who Christ is. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about Jesus a lot and yeah. who he is. Um, so just a real brief reminder, right? He is God. Become man, right? Mm-hmm. Fully human, fully divine. Fully human, fully divine. No questions there. I mean, there's been a lot of questions throughout history about this. 
So go back and read your church history, right? At this point, there shouldn't be any doubts because all the doubts have already been argued. Yeah. So if you want to go back and argue the same thing they argued in 500 AD, feel free. But the yeah, arguments oh, have already been made. Exactly. There's it's, nothing new under the sun. The anymore. church has, has settled it, you know? And so, like, you can go in all sorts of different directions between Arianism, that he's just a guy, really great guy, but just a guy. Gnosticism, he's just God. He's not really man. You've got, you know, monophysitism, um, where it's like it kind of, like, mixes him up. So he's, like, a mixture of God and man, but that's not true. Like, he's fully human and fully and isn't mind. there, like, a monotheism? Yeah, there's one of the other ones. Yeah, because it's like you can go, like, all the four different points. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, shoot, I forget what the last one was. Was it uh, Nestorianism, I think? That is, um, that is a heresy. That's one of them. I think, I think that's the opposite with them. But, you know, he is fully human and fully divine. And, you know, that he has come to us, that he is totally God, but also totally man. Um, yeah, it's incredible. And so hopefully, if you've been following us a while, you've already got that part. Yeah. But what I really like before we get into the names is this little section um, 426 through 428, does it go to? Mm -hmm. um, 429. Talking about the heart of catechesis, right? So Jesus, Jesus Christ is the whole point of catechesis, of sharing the faith, sharing the gospel message. Evangelization is all about introducing people to the person of Christ. And so even what we're doing right now, right? Because really this catechism series is catechesis at the heart of it. We're trying to teach the faith. But I hope what comes off and conveys from us talking is the love we have for the church, the bride of Christ, and we, the love we have for Christ and his mother. And so we're through our sharing the faith, it is always pointing back to the personhood of Jesus and encouraging everyone to build that relationship with him. And I think this, this section does just a beautiful job, and especially paragraph 426. I basically underlined that entire paragraph. Just read it. Um, it's good. Perfect. At the heart of catechesis, we find, in essence, a person, the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the only son from the Father, who suffered and died for us, and who now, after rising, is living with us forever. I love that kind of gospel presentation yeah. there. Uh, to catechize is to reveal in the person of Christ the whole of God's eternal design, reaching fulfillment in that person. It is to seek to understand the meaning of Christ's actions and words and of the signs worked by him. Catechesis aims at putting people in communion with Jesus Christ. Only he can lead us to the love of the Father in the Holy Spirit and make us share in the life of the Trinity. And that was just such an amazing little gem like yeah. in this, this section that I think you can kind of read some of these. Like, okay, yeah, I got it. Jesus Christ, that's who he is. I understand and then that just stuck out to me, like how beautiful that is as a reminder that catechesis is about introducing the person of Jesus Christ. And just that phrase, catechesis aims at putting people in communion with Jesus Christ. So it's not just this is a class and we're going to learn about the person of Jesus of history and this and that. No, it's to be in communion with him. I mean, to think about that, that he wants to know us and he wants us to know him. He wants us to be, you know, just even deeper than just a relationship with. Like, he wants to be in communion with us for all eternity. And, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, that's what we're all longing for is to be understood, right? And he knows us even better than we know ourselves. Like, we can lie to ourselves sometimes. He can neither deceive nor be deceived, right? He knows our hearts. He wants to be with us. And at the heart of all of us, like, we're longing for that. We're longing for that communion. As God said in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. 
And to think about this, that like, he's given us his only begotten son. He's given us Jesus Christ to save us from that loneliness, to save us from a personal isolation, to save us, quite frankly, from what that is, from hell, you know? And so it's not just that hell is like a place like, you know, it's just like burning in pitchforks, um, but, you know, isolation and turning in on yourself where he wants to be in communion with us and to call us out of any of that loneliness and, you know, that he comes to us to make that possible. And, and still, like we just had the gospel about blind Bartimaeus this last Sunday, he still uses the church to call other people to himself, right? That we have this awesome privilege of getting to sit here and talk about the fact that, hey, it's like, we found this. It's a treasure. We want you to have it too. We want to call you into communion with Jesus Christ, to be there with him and to show you it's possible. Like, it's so good. And, and we've been blessed too. Michael does a great job with RCIA. We were just talking with the couple that we're going to get to bring them into the church here soon. And just they're saying like, this is such a treasure. We feel like we're just waking up to it right now. Like we wish everybody knows about this. Yes, because it's open and available to everybody. And it's so good. And yes, as we talked about before, the devil's trying to pull us away from that. But you know what? It's so important. Tell them to go to hell. You know, like come to Christ because being in communion with him, there is nothing better than that. And I think on a personal note, I love this because our effort is to do this, yeah. right? I mean, as Father said, I teach RCIA. I've helped a lot with faith formation. I've done all these different things. And whether I've always intentionally recognizing it or not, I hope that this is my goal when yeah. I am catechizing and teaching. And I know this has not always been done. It, uh, our history has been kind of rough, especially yeah. kind of in the, the flower power age of catechesis. And even today, some of these don't follow this as well. And sure. if you've ever been in a class like that, on behalf of the church, I want to apologize because we've all been in classes like that where it's like, ah, oh, you're kind of missing the point of catechesis here. But I will say is if you're ever in something here at Sacred Heart and this paragraph is not at the heart of that catechesis, come and talk to us because yeah. we're going to get that fixed. Yeah, and it's always good to be challenged on things. And it's like, I don't think you're doing this with this in mind. Um, and this is kind of, to me, this is like the litmus test. Yeah, I think so. And, and really about anything that we do. It's like, okay, paying off the debt. Why are we doing it? Because we want to be able to provide this place to put people in communion with Jesus Christ for ages to come. You know, like that's why we do what we do. And, you know, any way that we can strive to remove obstacles and provide that place. You know, and obviously everybody has to, you know, make that act of the will to do it. And this is the scary thing. I mentioned the homily today because the gospel was about Jesus calling the apostles, right? One of them betrayed him. You know, it was Judas. He was there. He was there with the other guys. But obviously something was missing. And that's the scary part is just, you know, like we can provide all this. We can work at it. But you have to make that decision to be in communion with Christ. He's not going to force you to do it. But God willing, like we can all play a part in helping people to come into communion with him. And part of that involves like that hard battle we were talking about before, striving up the table, right? Striving to stay in that communion with him all the time. I love that prayer I get to pray at Mass to the Blessed Sacrament at the end. Never let me be parted from you. And I think there's a reason why the church gives us that every single time we celebrate Mass, which means at least once every single day, because with our crazy human hearts, we tend to drift, right? If we just left to our own devices, we start to slide down the table. But to stay um, trusting in our Lord and to strive to stay in that communion, you don't want to be anywhere else. And so for the next 
while, we're going to be talking about who Jesus is and trying to understand him more. And what better way to understand who Jesus is is to start by looking at the names we use for him. So, Jesus, right? Jesus, right there in paragraph 430, it says, Jesus means in Hebrew, God saves. This name, Jesus, was given to him at the Annunciation, right? And you shall name him Jesus, for he is to do the exact thing his name says. God, Jesus, who is God, comes to save. So he's fulfilling that name. And obviously, in God's divine providence, he knew that full well. And that's why Angel Gabriel brought his name with him. And, and he will, and I, yeah, we'll save, we'll save what? We'll save his people from their sins, as it says in the Gospel of Matthew, right? That that's what he's come to save us from, to save us from our sins, to save us from that woundedness that we've, you know, uh, or the two, not committed, but um, contracted. contracted. But then also that we do commit, that we make those mistakes, that we fall into that trap of evil, that he's come to save us from that, to call us into something greater, into communion with him. And I would just say, too, as a quick aside, um, I know we'll get there in the morality section, too. But when you look at that, we're talking about the most holy name of Jesus and the power in that name and the goodness in that name. Make sure to be reverent about the name of Jesus. Like, if you catch yourself, like, you know, you stub your toe and you say the name of our Lord, don't do that. I mean, I was kind of raised to think of something like, I'm just throw it out there. I'm not going to say the word, but the F-bomb, right? Not a good thing to say, right? Don't say it. I don't recommend it. But that's better to say than dropping the name of our Lord in an irreverent way. You know, like if you know that you're doing this, bring yourself back to recognize the power of this name. That he's the one who has come to save humanity from their sins. Don't just throw that name around like it doesn't actually mean anything. Because it means, it has one of the greatest and most important meanings of, you know, all human existence. And so I just say be really careful with the name of our Lord. And, and if you found yourself in that trap, hey, you know, you get to confession, something like that, come on back um, and keep working at it. You know, our Lord will help you and he knows where you're striving to come from. And if it's deeply rooted, he will help you to root it out. But I would say definitely get on the work of rooting it out. Yeah, and that comes from a long tradition of names being that important. I really like this kind of section in 433. Uh, the name of the Savior God was invoked only once in the year by the high priest in atonement for the sins of Israel after he had sprinkled the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies with the sacrificial blood. So in the Jewish tradition, yeah. the name of the Savior God was only said one, one time. time a year. Yeah. One time a year. It was so holy that it could only be said once. And it's a, they're equating the name of Jesus to the name of the Savior God that was only allowed to be said once. Now, obviously... God becoming man, he yeah. opened up the gates of heaven, we can have that relationship with him. He doesn't want us to preserve his name only one time a year, but, but still, that power yeah. and that glory and that honor that we give to that name should be equated in the same way, even though we can say it more than one time. Oh yeah, and even when we get to the section on Lord, it's going to reference the fact that the, uh, the Hebrews didn't even write out the name of God. Like they used what's called the Tet. Grammaton or something. something like that. I don't think I'm saying it right, but it's like, you know, they didn't write out the name. They wrote out YHWH, the name that God gave, you know, from the burning bush. I am who am. Um, so just to remember that fact that as we're talking about the titles of Christ, don't just throw around his name like it doesn't mean anything. And definitely don't don't say it out of anger. Don't say it in putting people down. I mean, I think, you know, that's when you start to, you know, it's like being like a demon. And we don't want to be like that. You know, show our Lord respect and adoration and love. 
And, um, you know, and, and hey, if somebody's saying that, like you're out playing golf and a bunch of the buddies and somebody says it's like, you know, it never hurts to just kind of gently crack, like, hey, buddy, like, I don't think you should probably be saying that, you know, and, and okay, like, if they're like, whoa, who are you? Well, I actually happen to love Christ, you know, and like, I mean, yeah, is that a tough thing to do? Of course it is, but, you know, it's not exactly martyrdom, so just, you know, like, just, hey, throw it out there, and if they think you're kind of a nut for our Lord, well, so be it, you know, like, let them think that, it's fine. Yeah, exactly, so. call on your <laughs> brothers and sisters in Christ yeah, and tell and them. To okay. do better. Absolutely. It may go a really long way. So, anyway. And obviously, we use the name of Jesus in prayer a ton. And we should. And yeah. the name of Jesus is a prayer even in itself. Exactly. I think it's 435 that we're going to go to. I love that. The name of Jesus <coughs> is at the heart of Christian prayer. All liturgical prayers conclude with the words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Hail Mary reaches its high point in the words, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. The Eastern prayer of the heart, the Jesus prayer, says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Many Christians, such as Joan of Arc, have died with one word, Jesus, on their lips. And you may notice that, at least at Mass, and we try to a lot, when the name of Jesus is said, there's a small bow that Father and I do. And actually in the Eastern rite, they cross themselves every time the name of Jesus is said. So the intentionality even behind using the name of Jesus and you know, offering that little bow, showing reverence for that name, and then, you know, our Eastern brothers and sisters making yeah. the sign of the cross. I mean, that should put some weight to the name as well and just show the importance of it. Absolutely. Just one other final side note. Of course. My, my birthday, the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. Just thought I'd throw that out there. There's nothing really special about my birthday, unfortunately. I keep waiting for a saint to be proclaimed and put on I'm my sure birthday. I'm sure there's one. We should look on Butler's Lives of the Saints. I mean, it's, gonna, it's, it's not on the calendar. Yeah. I will say that. I hope we can find, like, somebody just amazing. So, I don't know. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so, uh, Christ, Christ, right? 436. The word Christ comes from the Greek translation of Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed. And I love this because I love talking about, um, you know, Christ's threefold ministry of priest, prophet, and king, and talking about in the Old Testament how all those people were very closely anointed, right? Mm -hmm. We see um, the prophet... Samuel anointing David's head when he's proclaimed to be the king. Um, we see the anointing of, I'm blanking now, uh, of priests, right? Even priests today are anointed. Their hands are anointed. We are anointed at confirmation. We are anointed at baptism. And the whole point of that is so we become Christians, right? Become little anointed ones, just like Christ is anointed. So the anointing theology, I don't know the best way to say it, I find really powerful and impactful because it applies to us so directly yeah. that we are supposed to fulfill this ministry of being little priests, little prophets, and little kings mm -hmm. as Christians, as little anointed ones, following after Christ and the Messiah and being kind of little saviors in our own way by helping to lift people up to God and helping in the salvation of others, such as through praying for people who have died. Nice yes. little segue back around. I like that. That was well done. Yeah. I remember like with an anointing, when you're talking about the oil, it's like stain on wood, right? You can't, once it's been stained, you can't take it off. Um, so that's why with certain sacraments, it's one time and that's it, you know? So baptism, confirmation. Uh, with holy orders, you got the three stages. But yeah, with that anointing, I mean, it, it seeps in. It is part of who you are at that point. Um, and it's cool. With priests, our hands are anointed. Um, with bishops, part of the ordination right is pouring chrism over their head which is pretty cool i don't cool. think i've seen a ordination of a bishop I think before I've been to one, but that was it 
So which one was it? Do you remember? I do. It was uh, at the time Archbishop uh, Burke. Um, oh, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's so, a pretty big one. Pretty awesome. So um, now, and the term Christ was used more frequently than just with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. There were there were a lot of people that were considered to be Christ and anointed. So when we say really, it's Jesus the Christ. Right, that that article of the emphasizing the fact that he is the fulfillment in the Christ or the Messiah or the Savior, and that there was a lot of kind of little saviors over the course course of history where Jesus fulfilled that. So you may see that term used in other times, not relating to Jesus, um, but he is the fulfillment in that that anointed one, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of goes through in this section talking about his priesthood and his being prophet and his kingship and how he is equating to all these different anointed ones in the fulfillment of all that through here. So uh, definitely go back and read that section. I think yeah, it's fantastic. It's well worth it, absolutely. Um, Father, you want to dive into the only Son of God section here? Sure. So when it comes to the only Son of God, so or Son of God is a title that's a little bit more wide, but then we get into only, and we're specifically talking about the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. So 441 in the Old Testament, Son of God is a title given to the angels, the chosen people, the children of Israel, and their kings. It signifies an adoptive sonship that establishes a relationship of particular intimacy between God and his creature. When the promised Messiah King is called Son of God, it does not necessarily imply that he was more than human, according to the literal meaning of these texts. Those who call Jesus Son of God as the Messiah of Israel perhaps meant nothing more than this. However, as we get to the point where we're talking about only, then we're specifically getting into more about Christ. But that Son of God, and you think about this, like our Lord has come to share, like, or to make us adopted sons and daughters of God. That it's going to be different, like when he says uh, after the resurrection, you know, go go and tell um, you know my brothers and your brothers. You know, like this like this different relationship, my father and your father, um, that we become adopted. But he is the only son of God. Um, as we move on, and Peter kind of takes that and yeah, elevates it. Right, exactly. that's kind of the highlight and the main point where we take the son of God to the only son of God. Um, as it says in four forty two, right? Peter witnesses or confesses that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds solemnly, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there's a recognition that there is something greater or higher than the Son of God within, that, within Peter's confession of who Jesus Christ is. Exactly. And he even calls himself the only, only Son of God, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus uses that phrase. And then I'm pretty sure this is where we also get that twice God the Father recognizes that as well, exactly. right? Exactly, both the baptism and the transfiguration. So there's a very heavy weight to this calling him the only Son of God. And there's very large moments within Scripture that highlight this fact. So, and I, and I can never understand how, if we take Scripture as a historical text, it's pretty clear that it says Jesus oh, yeah. is Son of God, and if He is God, all the things that come from that. And I know people could still argue it, but like I said, go back and research the heresies from like 1,500 years ago, and it's kind of already been done. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is like you have to take the whole thing in together. Like, you know, like we don't cherry pick on Scripture. We don't, you know, proof text. So we look at the whole thing, all of it together. But yeah, the transfiguration and, um, and the baptism are talked about in paragraph 444. So we were on the last part. We've got like five minutes to go, so we're doing pretty good. I know we kind of sped up here a little bit at we the did, end. We did, but we kind of have to. But our timing was a little bit off, but we're trying to do the best we can. So last part about Lord, right? 446. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the ineffable Hebrew name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, by which God revealed himself to Moses, 
is rendered as Kyrios, Lord. Yeah, and that's the same word where we say Kyrie eleison in Mass. We're saying, you know, Lord have mercy. Um, and then Christe eleison, Christ have mercy. And then Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Um, and so from then on, Lord becomes the more usual name by which to indicate the divinity of Israel's God. The name, the New Testament uses this in the full sense in the title Lord, both for the Father and what is new for Jesus and who therefore recognized by God. So Lord becomes the term used for the Israel's God, which then obviously equates to Jesus because he is part of the Trinity. And I don't know if it says it, but obviously, yes, obviously the Holy Spirit would play into that as well as the third person of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And 449, by attributing to Jesus the divine title Lord, the first confessions of the church's faith affirm from the beginning that the power, honor, and glory due to God the Father are due also to Jesus because he was in, in the, the form, form of God. God. And notice Philippians 2, 6 getting in there. I love that so much. So when we say Lord, we are recognizing Jesus' divinity and recognizing that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all Lord because they are all God in the, the Trinity, the, this three persons, one God. And the communion of persons. So, and we are being called into that communion. And that's pretty much it, unless you got something else to say about this section, Father. I don't think so. I just, I, I love the way that we were able to start with uh, those early 400s and how like we're dealing in the depths of sin. And it's like, we see that all around us, but then it's like, you know, the raising up through Christ and just how, <laughs> how blessed we are in the gift we've been given. Um, you know, as you said before, like to even be called Christians, like to be so close to the Messiah, to the anointed one, to Jesus Christ, we take on a name that's like his name. And, uh, you know, how incredible it is to get to participate in that. And so it's like we start in kind of a lowly place of what we've contracted in original sin, that God doesn't just leave us to wallow in what we're going through. So I know there's always difficult stuff. Hey, we're on YouTube now, which is great. And I know there's some difficult stuff out there on YouTube, right? Like, you know, it's, it's not all uh, butterflies and, and sunshine out there. However, Christ has entered into all of this with us. And that's why we can keep going day by day and why we can talk about all this. And at the heart of it all, uh, from that catechizing paragraph of 426, I believe it was, we're called into right. communion with Jesus Christ, yes it was. So, good job on that. I love that as a litmus test. Yes, yes, it is. So, a couple administrative notes. So, yes. the last Thursday of the next month is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is it? Yeah. So, do we go the Thursday before or the Thursday after? We're just going to make the call right now. Uh, I would say let's do it before because after gets kind of crazy. Oh, see, I was going to say after because then we'd be in Advent. What are we? And that would be fun. But then you just like threw me into this. Is it the last Thursday? In yeah, I guess it is. Is that what, what, what Thanksgiving is always yeah. the last Thursday? And, and I don't know if it is always the last Thursday because it has to do with full moons and things like that, okay. I feel like. But we could do it the Thursday before. Fantastic. So it's Thursday before, soon. we're going to do, do it a week earlier. 450 to 500. 450 500. We get into the incarnation, yeah. which is fantastic because we are literally coming into yeah, the season of the address. incarnation. Um, and then we get just a little tiny glimpse of uh, Mary, which means... We get a lot of Mary, I'm pretty sure, when we get into that's going to be December. Because yeah. I think we'll have to figure out what to, we want to do for yeah. the Christmas season I would as guess, well. and see, and there's a the thing there, too. We're going to need to go early in December. So yeah. you might as well go early in All right. November. Early in November, early in December, back on schedule in January. Um, that sounds so good to me. Just keep an eye out. We'll announce it in the bulletin and things like that. So it'll be well known. And as Father just said, we are on YouTube now. So 
Now, if you want to live stream Mass on Sunday, if you want to watch us, you can watch it three ways. You can go to Vimeo, which is kind of the hosting site, and that's what shoots it out to other things. You can watch it on Facebook, or you can watch it on YouTube. We're just trying to evangelize in as many places as possible. Pick the streaming service of your choice and just, just watch it. Oh, yeah. Share with people. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Oh, yeah. Hit that bell on YouTube <laughs> so you get the notifications when we do another another video. That's it. So people can subscribe to our channel now too. Wow, yeah. we've really made it. Yeah. Like, wow, something that people can subscribe to. So you could to. follow. Oh, also, so when I take these, I take these off. They're on Spotify. So okay. if you want to follow our podcast on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're basically anywhere where there's media now. I'm hoping we're there. So we're not on Instagram because uh, I don't really like Instagram. We're not on TikTok, you know, those, those other things like that. But YouTube, Vimeo, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, you name it, more or less. We're on there. So like I said, give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Give us a share. Give us a no retweets because we're not on Twitter. Um, yeah, but share it with people because the more people share it, the more people find us. And the more people find us, the more people can be catechized by the beauty of the name of Jesus Christ. See, I love this because I know all of these different names now. I'm not completely out of it, right? But I have no idea how to put us on anything. I guess short of Facebook. I can now like post a video on Facebook, which I know is pretty incredible. And I'm just going to go and pat myself on the back. That's so cool. Like I didn't know we were on like everything now. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And now that you kind of watch some of these things, you yeah. know the whole thing. Give us It'll a pop subscribe up. Subscribe yeah. and hit that bell. Hit you know, bell. It's, a, yeah. it's a big thing that YouTubers say. And I we'll felt put, like I wanted to say too. We'll put a little graphic at the bottom that you know shows the bell and all that. Now we're not yeah, we could do a whole bunch of fun things. So, but well, I will say, pay attention to Michael's uh, like the the meme at the front of our show. With the like thumb, a, they're called a thumbnail. A thumbnail. Follow. I apologize, but like the little thing of some stupid thing I said during the show. Or I said I'm trying to even it out. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but I do a good job of saying some really stupid things. But so. see, I really liked you know taking things out of context. I forget which episode it was, but you quoted Jurassic Park. So one of the thumbnails literally says, "A line from Jurassic Park." Dot dot dot. And it's like, fun. what was that? I guess I have to watch the whole hour long conversation to find the line from Jurassic Park. And I don't even remember what it was at this point. So oh, it might have. I, it, was my guess, it was the it was, Jeff Goldblum yeah, thing. Jeff Goldblum. Okay, yeah, but yeah, you were no, so no, busy. don't spoil it. They gotta go back and watch the video. Okay, go back and find that one and watch that video. Enjoy watching Jeff Goldblum. That'll be great. No, hey. no, no. Our video, not. You can watch Jurassic Park if you want, but hear Father say the quote. Yeah, because when Jeff Goldblum is quoted through me, it's even better. And who knows? Maybe Jeff Goldblum will start following our channel, and we can get all those Jeff Goldblum fans. And he's gonna be quoting us. <laughs> I like that we've just sort of like descended into ridiculousness. Like we just went on that table and just started sliding down. But it's fun. Isn't that the point of YouTube? Descending into ri ridiculousness. Yeah. It's a good. Time. A lot of times. I'm enjoying. Really? It. How ridiculous? Ah, right. that's one of my favorite channels. Yeah, Google them. They're, they're yeah, fun. they are fun. Australian throwing stuff off of a tower. It's great. And so. they're Australian. Actually, one of the, I think it's a heron. He's not actually Australian. I think really? he's American. And he oh. moved to Australia. They all kind of sound Australian. Maybe I know. He's lived he there picked a long up time. the accent. I think. That's probably. But I don't think he actually is. is Australian. But anyways. Let's close in a prayer before we keep spiraling down into it. Let's do it. Although, do enjoy some, uh, some How Ridiculous, because it's fun. It's kind of therapeutic. And some fun banter. Yeah, I enjoy the banter. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to, to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, and ever shall be, be, world without end. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your Spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.